Hey, good evening. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights. I'm Lacey Johnson, your host. Uh, we're your weekly podcast where we bring on uh, guests who talk about achievement. Uh, we like to keep it positive. Uh, we like to discuss business, families, ideas. Uh, we like to respect all ideas. Uh, I'm not, uh, and I've said it before, I'm not a big believer in any type of censorship. Uh, because I trust people can uh, discern bad ideas and worse ideas for themselves. So I'm just a uh, open market of ideas here. A lot of the things that's going on now with censoring and cancel culture, I totally disagree with. Uh, and, you know, I really never know what I'm going to say in my intro until I get on the air, which I, got, I guess I got to change that. But Speaking of cancel culture, so one of the big news stories this week uh, was Dave Chappelle. Everywhere I looked was Dave Chappelle, and I guess he's run into uh, some issue with the trans community, and basically they want to cancel him. I mean, they are uh, really after his job, uh, his career. Uh, they want to do that, but Netflix is standing by him, and I'm glad to see that. Look, well, first of all, I want everyone uh, listening, if you get a chance, uh, I say go on YouTube and search for a lady named Hazel Scott. Uh, and I'd say probably 95 to 99% of America uh, have not uh, heard from, know of a Hazel Scott, but she was the first person of African descent to have a TV show, and I think it was in started in 1950. Uh, but uh, and she was very talented, and that's why I want you to Google some of her videos. I mean, in movies, TV, playing two pianos at the same time, you understand how popular she was, and then you wonder, well, whatever happened to this person? Oh, and another thing, another side, she eventually married uh, Congressman Adam Clayton Powell out of Harlem. And she was just a magnificent lady and achieved magnificent things. But once again, you don't hear of her because of this whole McCarthyism, where this red scare, where there was blacklisting a lot of entertainers that they suspected were communists and things like that. And this is where I'm going, people. I never thought we'd get back here. Uh, and it's the other side now that's intolerant want to cancel people, want to end people's career. And this knee-jerk reaction of wanting people to be fired, I'm, you know, I don't know whether I'm the only one. I, I'm just tired of this. And something needs to be done about it. Uh, the interesting thing about Dave Chappelle is he actually had and helped the career of a transgender person. And he was very close in the transgender a family knew him and they liked him, but that doesn't matter to the people. We're at the point that we're so intolerant and we act as if there's a right not to be offended in the Constitution. Look, people, the greatness about this country is that you you, are, you do have freedom of speech. And we're going to get into uh, the Bill of Rights one of these days because nobody seemed to know or care about them anymore. And I've said it before, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they are the foundation of our country and our democracy. And if we ever forget those and don't care about them anymore, uh, we're in deep trouble, which we are. So once again, uh, Google Hazel Scott, uh, let's, as a people, start being more tolerant of each other and different views. And I'll just end it before I bring on my guest. My guest tonight is a gubernatorial candidate, Paul Kozelka. Uh, I will bring him on shortly here, but I would end to say this, and I try to be a personal principal in everything I do. I'm not saying I succeed all the time, but my thing is I welcome speed of freedom of speech. I welcome different ideas, no matter how crazy they are. And people can generally say anything they want, have any opinions they want, and my standard for uh, censorship or any type of negative action is does it break the law or not? And I think we should welcome different opinions, even ones that disagree with us because the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, was mainly for unpopular speech. 
It ain't for popular speech. And we need to develop an appreciation for that. I think I've dealt with that enough. Uh, if you want to support this program, uh, go out to lasajohnson.com. I ask that you subscribe, uh, look at our merchandise store, and, and just give me comments and things. And I'm just open to whatever you have to say. So uh, haven't uh, said enough. Uh, I'm welcoming my guest this evening, Mr. Paul Gazelka. Hey, welcome, Paul, to Bright Lights. Are you there? I see Paul. Can I hear him? And this is live, people, so uh, can you hear me, Paul? Studio, something's going on here. He's good? Evidently, he's not. Okay. Okay. Are you there, Paul? Uh, hold on while we get that straightened out. Oh, okay. Hold on. Uh, see, can you uh, communicate with Paul while I continue to talk? Well, may as well. And hey, look, I, I love the improvising. Okay. Paul, can you hear me? He doesn't seem to be able to hear me. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is live, and I see a mute button somewhere. Oh, that's not mine. Oh, that's me. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to feel a little bit more here. And uh, once again, this is a nice little test for me. Uh, we were talking about the cancel culture, and we were talking about a uh, lady named Hazel Scott, the first person of African descent with a television show, uh, great in movies, very talented pianist. In fact, Alicia Keys, I think it was, uh, recognized her in one of her national performance on one of the award shows. And I was very happy to hear that and see that. Uh, but another thing that's going on in, as far as cancel culture and people just being totally I see Paul, I'm out moving, but I don't hear anything. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, another thing as far as the council culture is concerned, uh, the other story that was in the news relative to that this week was uh, Oakland Raiders coach uh, John Gruden and look, people, and I'd say to everyone, I just assume that everything I do and everything I say, there's a recording of it somewhere. And uh, two things, I don't have anything to hide. And I've always been one to accept the consequences of my action. If I did it, um, I'm willing to accept the fallout from it. And so, hold on. Uh, I'm willing to accept the fallout from it. And so uh, I've never really tried to hide anything. I just assume everything's being recorded. And where I'm going with that is that uh, there were some emails of the coach John Gruden where he referred to, made derogatory remarks about all kinds of groups and remarks that probably should not be made. But, you know, I know a lot of good people who have done uh, – bad things or silly things. I also know a lot of bad people who've done good things. And I, once again, I gave you my criteria is that uh, people are free to think and say whatever they want as long as they're not breaking the law. Uh, they are free to have any opinions that they want uh, as long as they aren't breaking the law. That's my approach to it. Uh, now, I'm very tolerant of people and things. I, um, I I do not accept personal disrespect, but as long as you're respecting me as a person and you're not breaking in laws, you can say and think whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It, it really never have. In my whole life, it's never mattered what people thought. So I don't even get caught up into that. Uh, and so... I spoke about this relative to the Bill of Rights in the Constitution 
where we have freedom of speech. And as long as we're doing that, uh, you're good with me. Let's see, can we get Paul back on here now? Uh, I got an engineer here that's working with me. Hey, Paul, can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss what was wrong later. Well, good to have you, Paul. Uh, thanks for being a guest tonight on Bright Lights. I know you've been out there working hard today, uh, your campaigning, but let's let's dive in a little bit about your background, and we're going to talk, spend more time talking about issues and, and how you're trying to make uh, the state better and how you have in the past. Uh, basically, I understand you were born in St. Paul. Uh, you lived in St. Paul until you were 15 years old, moved to Virginia City, Minnesota, and you know, us non-native Minnesotans, when we think of Virginia City, I think that's where Bonanza was shot at. I think, and you old enough, you're old enough to like I have to remember Bonanza in Virginia City. So that's what we think of. Uh, and I do know that you eventually moved to the uh, Brainerd area and you settled there. Nishwa, you was in the insurance business. Uh, right now, you're living in oh, uh, the beautiful area of the state. Uh, up around the East Gull Lake area. And all I know, and there's a resort up there. Is it Matson Resort? Is there a Matson Resort in that Madden's, area? Madden's Resort, Madden's. and Grandview are the big three. Yeah. And all I know is driving up there from here, that's a big hill that you see the lake, uh, beautiful lake. And it was one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen. So, uh, Paul, tell us about. Uh, well, well, let me let the audience know that you graduated from Oral Roberts with a bachelor in business and management, and then you eventually uh, started a career in the insurance business. So we'll take off from there. How did you get into the insurance business? And then we'll talk about your political career and things like that. How did you, how did you eventually chose insurance business as uh, a place to uh, uh, hang up your uh, shingle, I guess they call yeah, it? Yeah, you know... Uh Insurance uh, was something that my my dad did. Uh, worked in the insurance industry, and I, you know, I, I liked the life that he was living. Uh, my mom and dad were married for more, like somewhere around fifty eight years, something like that. And I saw the the life that he was able to live uh, uh, with in the insurance industry, what it provided for the family. And I said, well, that's something I want to do. And and so right out of college. Uh, I started my agency in Southwest Minnesota, west of Wilmer, way west on the South Dakota border. Uh, that was the only place that they would allow somebody that young to to start. And so that's you know that's where we started. My wife and I were newly married, and uh, it was a town of a little over two thousand people, so pretty small town. And uh, that that's where we been, we began and uh, did that for seven years. Uh, was promoted into management, and then even an executive and. But for the last 25 years, I've been in the, the uh, Brainerd area. I still have an agency there. Even though I'm in uh, politics as a legislature, I still have an agency. Well, you know, uh, next time I have some insurance needs or questions, I might just book you, Paul. Uh, say, I kind of started in the middle here. It's kind of like the Star Wars movies. You start in the middle and you work backwards. But uh, I do know that uh, God... Uh, it's a priority in your life and family is a priority in life. We'll talk about the God and, and your faith later, but tell us about your family, uh, wife, children, how long you've been married. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll start by saying I am a follower of Jesus. That, that is really core to who I am and it's how I treat others as a result of that faith, treat others the way you want to be treated. And my wife and I uh, both shared that faith before we got married and uh, married uh, young, she was. Uh, she she would say she was almost 19, you know. And I was about 22, and and we've been married for 39 years. We've had we have five kids, and they're all adults now, and and five grandchildren, which is a lot easier. Anybody that's raised kids uh, and then grandkids, it was easier with grandkids, but uh, it really is the blessing uh, of life is is family life, and you know whether you're single or go through a divorce, uh, kids are, you know, a big part of, I think, many, many people's lives. And I'm very grateful for, for the family that we have. Yeah. I remember, uh, first lady Jackie Kennedy talking about if you fail at parenting, nothing else really mattered. And uh, I always had that same, uh, 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 attitude myself. Well, 
before we go on to big issues, let's just stop. How did you meet your wife? And just tell us quickly there. And I know both of you probably have different stories, but I'll get her story. I'll get her story when I you see know, her. I, I, uh, I went to Oral Roberts University. I, I, I transferred to Oral Roberts University. And truth be told, I was looking for my MR degree, Mr. Degree. And uh, before, uh, before I ended up moving to Oral Roberts, I met my wife back in our hometown of Virginia, Minnesota playing volleyball and it was like man she is she she looked amazing but the fact is I, I really wanted to know that there was something more and she had a deep faith and love for people and uh, there were just so many things that ended up drawing me to her and hopefully she would share the same things about me and you know the rest is history. Well, you know, I get to talking to my guest and time goes fast so I'm going to be conscious of it. Let's delve a little bit into your a political career. Uh, I know that uh, you ran for Minnesota House of Representative. You served there for a while. Uh, you were in the Minnesota Senate, and then you got elected uh, Senate Majority Leaders. Just give our audience a sense of why you uh, entered into politics, and and uh, I'm just curious about how, this is just me personally, how you ended up being the Senate Majority Leader, because that means that there were some people there who observed you and what you did and how you conducted yourself. And they got together and decided that you would be the pers best person to lead them. So maybe just talk a little bit about your career in the legislature and your uh, position as the major Senate majority leader. Yeah, you know, I wasn't looking to be in politics. Uh, I tell people politics found me. Uh, the the um, representative that uh, was in my area asked me out for coffee. We went and had coffee and he said, he had a serious illness and he wasn't going to run again. And what I run is in his place. And, you know, it caught me off guard. But as my wife talked about it and prayed about it and talked to some of the people around us, we thought this is something I should do. And that's how I got into the, the house. I was unelected after one term. It was a what we call a swing district can go either way. And I thought maybe I'd be done. Frankly, we had five kids at home at the time and busy in business and ministry. Uh, but four years later, we decided to run for the Senate. That was 2010 and won. And uh, five years later, I uh, basically ran for majority leader, the, the highest ranking leader of the Senate, and uh, ended up being that leader. And, you know, I was elected by my peers. That's, that's how you get elected. And, you know, I was very, very grateful to serve as the leader for the last five years. There were so many complex issues. And uh, I, I'm just grateful that I was a part of many of those things. Uh, you know, we went through some of the, the uh, uh, public safety reforms and trying to find common ground between Democrats and, and Republicans, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul people and rural people. And so many, many complex issues. And I got to be right in the center of all of them. Okay. Uh that sounds like a great way to serve your community. Uh, you know, Paul, I get invited to a lot of uh, events and I got invited to an event that you spoke at in St. Paul. And I, I never forgot it because you mentioned uh, the average, I think, uh, annual salary or whatever of people moving out of Minnesota versus moving into Minnesota. And believe it or not, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, we got a problem here. Uh, do you recall those the data that you quoted as far as those moving in versus those moving out? And would you mind repeating that for our audience? You know, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I, I ended up uh, being on the road when we got to this and couldn't actually get to a place to connect my computer, <laughs> which is why we're on the phone and I'm talking in my car with lights on. I, please, audience, please forgive me. But you know, the fact is, uh, the there's been a drain of, of talent and resources out of Minnesota, and that is very, very concerning. Uh, businesses, wealthy people, and in return, we have people coming into Minnesota that uh, are drawing on some of our benefits, and which is fine, but we can't have that, that continue flow where wealth and talent is leaving Minnesota and people that need to yet grow in their talents and wealth are coming to Minnesota. And so... It is something we, we, we uh, have to look at very seriously. And what I've been telling people running for governor is, frankly, we've, we've got to start appreciating the entrepreneurs and people that are uh, doing the business, creating the jobs, creating the wealth. And we need to think about our policies and do they 
are they attracting these people or, or are these people leaving our state? And that is one of the things I, I am very serious about taking a good look at. Okay. The And, and by the way, uh, I'm rounding this off. I, I heard that the average, I think, income of those moving out was over $200,000 a year and those moving in with 37000 And, you know, I'm, numbers catch my attention uh, because you, you project and you just keep projecting uh, those numbers towards the future is that uh, uh, we uh, cannot sustain that. Now, having yeah, let, let me hit that for a second too. And the reason mm -hmm. the reason why those people are leaving is Minnesota has some of the highest income tax rates in the country. Uh, so that's what what happens to being taxed in Minnesota, not federally. And then addition, when in addition, when they build that wealth and then mm -hmm. either die or retire. Minnesota taxes again. We tax Social Security income in Minnesota. We're one of about three to five states that does that, and then we have huge taxes on on what on an estate when somebody dies in Minnesota. And many states have no tax. And so, if you create incentives for people to leave rather than be here, then we lose all of their all of their resources, all of their philanthropic giving, all of their talent that they give to the communities goes to a different state. Yeah, and I've been following what's happening in California and a lot of the other states that uh, have preceded us in some of these policies and things and all the businesses moving their headquarters. A lot of them head into southern states like uh, Texas, Austin, Texas, and Georgia, and Tennessee, and a lot of the uh, foreign manufacturers, when they're looking to set up plants is down there, it's, they're looking at tax-friendly, business-friendly states, and we need to appreciate that. And, you know, there is an attitude, and you know, I got a lot of friends who look at it differently. That uh, rich people' money is everybody's money, and I think that's a bad thing. That's going to get us trouble. So, what? How do we fix that? I, I know uh, lowering taxes might be one way. Are there any there in, in, in creating more business friendly uh, legislation? Is some of the things I think you mentioned we need to do with that? Anything else we can do, Paul, to help fix yeah. that? So uh, we have an abundance of regulations and red tape that it's difficult for a business to expand in Minnesota. It's difficult for a business to start in Minnesota. And we just have a need to have a different attitude towards business. If somebody wants to start a business, then we need to make it easy for them to start a business in Minnesota. There's a lot of entrepreneurial people uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul that we need to make it as easy as possible for them to succeed. And it, if you ask the average small business owner, they would say it's difficult to succeed. There's so many reports and forms and things that you have to do. And we just need to find a way to make that easier. Other states do. And then when they want to expand in Minnesota, it might take a year or five years to go through the permitting where something that was a year here might take three or four months in another state and many businesses are just going to go where it's easier to do their job. And so, uh, and finally, I'd say we just need to have a different attitude towards the people that are successful. I mean, they're the typical successful person is giving all kinds of resources back into Minnesota, not just taxes, but all the employees that they hire, all, all the things that they do in their communities to make their communities successful. And, and we just need to pay attention to that and welcome that rather than than uh, be derogatory towards them where they just would rather go someplace else. Well, Paul, as a person who's been a politician and you're familiar with recent history, uh, it doesn't, how are you planning on, well, let me just come at it this way. Uh, my understanding is that the last time a Republican has held statewide office in Minnesota was I think 2006, Governor Pawlenty uh, if I'm correct about that. Uh, and the bottom line is that uh, you got to win outstate. You got to win suburbs or get a big chunk of that. And you got to make serious inroads into the metropolitan area. Uh, do you have a strategy and plans to help you do that? And you know how difficult it is uh, for a Republicans to uh, win votes the closer you get into the Twin Cities. Well, you know, what I'd say, Lacey, is uh, the last few years have clearly changed people's view of how Democrats have been governing. 
I don't think there, I think there's a lot of people in Minneapolis and St. Paul in the suburbs that clearly don't feel safe anymore. And it frankly has been Democrat policies of, of defunding the police, of taking away their tools. And suddenly the number of police in Minneapolis is dramatically down. And we could have worked on the reforms and also appreciated the police, but too many Democrats, frankly, have not. And as a result, crime is way up and people are very, very frustrated. Now, I, I visit a lot of different people in Minneapolis, St. Paul communities, uh, pastors and entrepreneurs and just people out on the streets that just want to be safe. And there is definitely a shift among moderate voters saying, you know what, Democrats have not figured out how to keep our streets safe. Republicans will. And that is a, the, the issue that I've talked a lot about. And then the second one is education. There has been very little adjustment in our education and too many kids are in failing schools and they have no way out. And we've been promoting and will continue to, pro to promote more opportunities for kids in failing schools. And those two issues I think will, will speak well to many people in Minneapolis and St. Paul that maybe it's time for a change. And so that, that's a big area. In the, in the rural Minnesota, I'm gonna do really well. Uh, the fact that I'm from Virginia, Minnesota on the range, uh, those folks typically are Democrat, but the Democrat legislators up there are talking about the fact that I should be the next governor because I know what their, their concerns are. And the same kind of issues in the ag community and then also within the blue collar union uh, workers, they recognize that I really have been taking care of them and looking out for their issues. Okay, so you brought up a few things there and we're gonna get into some of the uh, social issues, quote unquote, that they talk about also, uh, because uh, I, I often say my youngest son, he, he summed it up as far as people care more about how you make them feel than what you do for them. <laughs> and so sometimes that's the challenges for people who are interested in getting things done and results and talking about issues. But as long as we're on issues, uh, you mentioned that you've been meeting with people uh, in the cities. Uh, I've had, I know you met with some of the ministers and business leaders and others. Why don't you tell us about that experience and, and what you're looking to do for uh, the communities and the people that you're meeting and how you're going to get it done? You know, I, I uh, started off uh, maybe three or so years ago, meeting with some of the Hmong community members, uh, members from the India community. And uh, with the death of George Floyd, I really wanted to make some connections uh, with the black community. And so I met a number of black pastors and, and business owners. Uh, I've also reached out to the Latino community as well. Uh, and trying to find the areas that we share common ground. Uh, many of us share the same common ground of faith in Jesus. Uh, many of us share the same values related to family and, and uh, the importance of family, public safety, education, and, and job opportunities. And so that's what I've been building bridges to find how do we work together to, to uh, help all of those areas in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And it's been very rewarding for me. And one lesson I took away, for example, is uh, being from outstate Minnesota. After the, the 1,500 businesses were damaged or destroyed, many of them minority businesses, at first I said, you know, I'm not going to give a dime to Minneapolis. And the reason why is I, they, I thought they want to defund the police and then all of this damage happens. But visiting the people of Minneapolis, I, 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 what I changed was, I'm not, I don't really want to give more money to the government of Minneapolis, but I want to help the people of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And so helping these small businesses that were damaged or destroyed, helping these, these kids and their parents get a better education. And so it, it was a, 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 a shift in my approach as a result of talking to community members in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Okay. Paul, I'm familiar with, well, and, and all the key points that you mentioned, I'm a big proponent of creating more wealth in the inner city. I'm yeah. a big proponent of generational wealth. I'm a big proponent of companies actually moving in here with high paying jobs yeah. and that offer people of the community a chance to serve on the board of directors and be in executive management uh, to set aside money to pay for education and things like that. And where I'm going with this, I, I know at the federal level, 
there's something called the opportunity zone that uh, allows uh, businesses to work with uh, people of wealth. And instead of paying uh, taxes on their capital gain, they invested in businesses that are going to move into these opportunity zones. And where I'm going with that is that I think that's an excellent opportunity, uh, an ex excellent incentive. I've been, in fact, I think it's very creative. And if we leverage that right, right uh, we will get these businesses uh, into uh, inner cities and we create these jobs. Is there anything at the state level that can be done to uh, encourage or either supplement something like that? Because, you know, I mean, we really need the businesses in here. I think North Minneapolis, last I heard, had 241 nonprofits and very few for-profit businesses with great jobs and very few CEOs. Uh, what can we do at the state level and what you, will you, uh, as governor, push to help uh, supplement uh, complement things like the opportunities zone to get these businesses to come in the cities? Yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, under Pelenny, there was the Job Z program. They identified areas that they wanted to try to get more growth in and created some opportunities for that. And, and so I'm open. I, I recognize that we've got to really uh, make some shifts in Minneapolis and St. Paul uh, without a doubt. Uh, and then I would say overall policies, policies that frankly help the whole state would help Minneapolis and you know, some of our tax structure and regulation structure. That's good for all of Minnesota, but it definitely would be good uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul. You know, we, we uh, did some tax relief uh, conforming to the federal government on something called Section 179. Frankly, that helped farmers, but it also helped people in Minneapolis and St. Paul buy a bunch of equipment after the riots and be able to deduct that quicker on their tax forms. So I think you make a good point, and you, have, you, you, the governor is the governor of all Minnesotans and all demographics. And I think the blessed idea of reducing taxes that help everybody and every family. Uh, I know you spent some time, I think, on the Iron Range, and I have not kept up specifically with this, but I, I, I try to read a lot, Paul. And I know at one time that they had, was facing some of the same economic challenges that a lot of the inner cities were facing. Are there any particular type of policies uh, that you would have to help them with their economic development? Well, yeah, you know, one of my first jobs out of high school was working at in one of the mines. The mine was called Mintac. And uh, then they had big layoffs and I went to college and took a different route. But we need to make sure that the industries up there are prosperous. So some people uh, talk about they don't want mining. Well, well, frankly, we need the uh, ore and the precious metals that are mined up there for many things that help all of America. But up there, it's the jobs that they have. And frankly, mining in Minnesota is going to be way, way more envi environmentally safe than it would be anywhere else in the world. So if you're, if you're trying to take care of the environment, it's better to do it in Minnesota. If it's, if it's resources, frankly, that the whole world needs, let's do it here. And, and frankly, it creates a lot of jobs up there. And the people that are from Northeast Minnesota, they want mining. And, and I realize that more and more people have moved up there from other parts of, of the state and country. But the people that have been there for a long time, that's a history that they want to continue, the mining, mining uh, legacy that's been there. Okay, and my challenge a lot of times is that I pay attention to what the guests are saying and they trigger other questions and things like that. It's tempting to go down that road, but I'm going to stick a little bit to my script here because we got a lot of other important issues to discuss. Let's start with uh, public safety. You mentioned George Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, oh boy. Uh, you know, for the first time, Paul, I've been saying to people, I'm thinking about moving out of Minnesota because I just see the trends here. There's too many bad trends going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've seen a lot of uh, businesses close, destruction and things behind the whole George Floyd thing. I've been on record. I don't agree with the way we handle that. I don't believe that any political or government leader should ever let the public just destroy a police station. I've, I've been on record as saying I believe that's the beginning of all of this. And I've been on record of saying that I think we should replace all the people that's responsible for that. So I have to be upfront with that. But if you could clear all that out of your mind, uh, what do you see some of the mistakes that was made 
uh, in that situation with George Floyd that led to the riot, that led to a lot of the public safety issues that we're having right now? And what would Paul Gazelka as governor uh, do about some of these issues? Well, George Floyd died tragically on a Monday. The riots started Tuesday. And I define a riot as, as any time that somebody changes from protesting to damaging people's property or potentially other individuals. And, and at that point is when we should have brought the National Guard in to say, you cannot do this. We cannot allow lawlessness, even if there's great pain uh, because of what happened. And so that was Tuesday, Wednesday, the mayor of Minneapolis asked for the National Guard. Uh, the governor said, well, they, they got to give me a plan. And that was a lack of leadership because you could see that Minneapolis and St. Paul were desperate for uh, making sure that the streets were safe. I talked to a Latino pastor and he said he, he had to band together 100 people arming themselves because there was nobody else to protect many city blocks where they were living. And, and so that was Wednesday. Thursday is when the third precinct was burned down. That sent a terrible message to the whole world that, frankly, you can destroy a, a law enforcement uh, and then not respect them. And then Friday it continued, and finally the National Guard came out Saturday. But by then it was too late. And that wasn't, it, it didn't mean that there wasn't a real situation with a lot of pain. Those police officers were arrested. There was a trial there was a guilty verdict. The, the process worked. And I think that's important for people to remember is that it actually did what people um, I think were looking for. But the damage to all of those minority owned businesses, it's going to take a long time to recover from that. And that was the big mistake, I think, that I, I rest squarely on, on at the feet of uh, uh, Governor Walls for not acting quick enough. And so I would have moved much, much quicker on that. You cannot allow lawlessness. And we're gonna to continue to work on reforms. So the last two years, we have done more accountability reforms for public safety, I think ever in Minnesota. And so that doesn't mean we have to be done, but it should tell people, look, we took a, a real serious look at many issues and adopted new things that I think will help in uh, police accountability as well. Well, uh... We're, we're going to circle back around to the whole business environment and how we help these businesses because there's not an appreciation for what, what it takes to start a business to be successful in a lot of these small businesses, especially. But uh, there was a one-two punch involved here. One was the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. Uh, the second one was the whole COVID situation and our response to that. And I just see a lot of pain and suffering out there among businesses. And, and, and by the way, before I go any further, we, we don't want to forget the pain and suffering of some of these communities behind the George Floyd thing. So we, we want to make sure we recognize that. But I also see that just a lot of family businesses that's been in business for years. Uh, I know business people who have lost their life savings and nobody seemed to care that much, Paul. And from a personal note, and, you know, I used to just love Minneapolis and downtown Minneapolis and the Twin Cities. I go downtown now. It just breaks my heart to see what's yeah. going on down there. So how do we rebuild? Well, first of all, let's talk about the COVID response. Uh, you notice how the current governor responded to it. Uh, what issues do you have with that response and what would you do differently, Paul? Well, a lot of, I would have done a lot of things differently. Uh, frankly, closing the schools was a huge mistake. Uh, there's still no school-age child has died of COVID in Minnesota from the very beginning, not one. You have three, three people under the age of school age that had other uh, issues as well that did pass away, but nobody in school. Mm -hmm. And yet we kept kids out of school and many, many kids lost a whole year of school. And I just, I just, found that a gross error of judgment because it wasn't just about COVID. It was about our, our kids' future and, and the fact that they were not at risk. We could have done much, much better there. And then, frankly, masks for kids is the same thing. It, it, what it does is it prevents them from socializing. They can't tell whether somebody's smiling or angry. And I, I talked to parents of kids that were literally crying because they were not 
connecting to their other students. And so we're, we were socially hampering them as well when we knew that they were not at risk. And there was a point that the teachers got vaccinated. How about then? I mean, it just kept going on and on and on. And I think that will be one of the biggest mistakes. Other states had their schools open. Our parochial schools were open. Other countries had their schools open. But the teachers union and the governor decided not to keep the schools open. So that was a big area. And then these small businesses, we didn't have to shut them down. Uh, they could have just been, uh, you know, giving them the CDC guidelines and being as safe as possible. That's basically what happened in, in uh, Wisconsin because the courts didn't let them shut them down. And as a result, the, the numbers of, of fatalities of COVID, Minnesota versus Wisconsin, are almost the same. And yet they didn't have all the major restrictions in Minnesota. And then finally, after they closed these businesses down or hindered them, they had a, a hotline to turn them in. And then the fines weren't the thousand dollars that we saw in legis in the in the law; they were ten thousand dollar fines, and they were pulling their license. And so it just created deep frustration and made many of these small businesses fail. And 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 the the frustrating part was all the big businesses were open, but the small businesses that are the most likely to fail are the ones that were closed down. And so there's just a lot of things that really frustrated me personally. I, the, vax, the, the virus was serious. We should never underestimate how serious it was, but it was mostly people over 70 and younger people under 30, there was virtually no risk. So uh, I, I had COVID, I've also been vaccinated. I think it's a good idea to be vaccinated, but to force people to be vaccinated, I think is a mistake as well. Uh, so there's also was the issue of the governor's emergency powers where he was basically king for a year and dictating to us what we can and cannot do uh one of the sad parts of that is even when he like uh, slacked up here in minneapolis our mayor uh, uh based on the information that i've been getting was not friendly to the businesses and was harassing them and everything and before i even get into that detail paul this is what i want to know uh, I'm assuming that as governor, our current governor and future governor, realize that the Twin Cities, in a lot of ways, are the economic engine of the state. Yep. And that uh, it generates uh, quite a bit of jobs and taxes for us to do all the things that we want to do. Why would any governor or any government, government leader at any level not appreciate the importance of small businesses and the jobs and the revenue and just the overall vitality they bring not only to the city but to the state as well. I, I've, I've just never understood that. Can you make some sense out of that uh, to me if there's any sense to be made? <laughs> there's no sense to be made, Lacey. You know, it just... Uh many of the decisions were, were the opposite of where we should have been. And uh, frankly, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, I want them to prosper. And yet you see businesses leaving Minneapolis and St. Paul. And, and so we've got to turn that around. And as, as we're wrapping up COVID too, I mean, uh, the governor closed churches. Uh, they finally had to push to open. There was a point where bars could have 50 people, but churches the exact same time, 10. Uh, I, I'm glad, frankly, that it's at a local level. Uh, so if St. Paul or Minneapolis decide to do different things with vaccines or masks, at least now the local community can have a conversation, go in and talk to their city councils and say, we don't think that's how it should be. Uh, I'd rather have the decisions made local than what the governor did, making all the decisions uh, by himself uh, at the state for everyone. Well, we're going to pivot a little bit on that. And I'm not going to get to everything I, I, I want to, but we, it's a long race. Uh, but you mentioned some of the issues and where, how it doesn't make sense uh, to let businesses suffer. And I'll tie that over as part of our segue here uh, to what I said earlier. People care more about how you make them feel than what you do for them. Mm -hmm. And I say that in reference that I had a conversation with a young lady at a parking meter. And she didn't like to defund the police. She didn't like the violence. 
She didn't like the homeless camps in her neighborhood and the crime that went with it. But she kind of sympathized with the people behind it. And so she kind of indicated that even though she was unhappy with all those things, she still might vote for the same crowd that's there now. <laughs> uh, and that's the uh, hill, a mountain, however you look at it, or anything in between that you're going to have to climb, that people, a lot of people are not satisfied with what's going on, but they have a tribal kind of, uh, and this is all, human evolution, brain science type thing, so it's not to disparage anyone, uh, where they just want to identify with people and people's feelings, and that's what makes them feel good. So having said that, let's segue into a few of the issues here that uh, you'll probably get pinged on by some, some of the people who feel this way. Uh, first of all, uh, the LGBT community. I read some things where uh, you have some policies and things that people don't quite agree with. And we've already mentioned that they are very strong and powerful and canceling and they allow, uh, what is your approach to how we deal with LGBTQ rights and, and what type of things, policies would you implement, uh, that, that, uh, particular, uh, group would be interested in? Yeah. Well, the, the federal U S Supreme court, uh, has ruled that uh, marriage is between any two people. And that, uh, for how we're going to live in America, is a settled issue right now. I'm, you know, as following, uh, trying to follow Jesus in the scriptures, I might come to a personal difference of opinion there, but that is settled. And once the courts uh, ruled on that, I haven't tried to change anything there. I think everyone should be valued, period. I don't care who you are. That That also comes from my my faith uh, in, in how I treat people. Uh, in the Senate, we updated our, our harassment policy to include sexual orientation. So because I think everybody should be valued. The only issue that uh, I see as a uh, issue of conflict right now is whether adolescents should be able to get counseling uh, related to their sexual uh, identity uh, or not, uh, because some want to ban the ability for an adolescent to be able to talk to their about their sexuality with a therapist. And, and I think they should be able to talk about anything. Sexuality, frankly, is very, very complex. And adolescents, I think, need to be able to talk about whatever issue they want to talk about. And I've, I've talked to a, a number of people from the gay community about that. They agree with me. What I would say is, other people in the gay community don't. They want to forbid that and so that there, there can be no discussion. Uh, but anybody that's trying to change somebody against their will, uh, I, I don't support that. And so I think part of this, this, this issue is um, a false narrative about what the discussions really are. Well, you know, I read, a, I try to do a little homework before I talk to my guests and I was reading about that. And uh, my thing is, and people know I'm a conservative. My thing is, it's a family decision. The government shouldn't be even getting involved in that. And that's just the way I feel about it. That's my initial reaction. That's a parent. Let the each parent decide. And I don't, I don't believe in passing too many laws along those lines. Uh, you hit on the abortion uh, uh, issue, I think, uh, briefly there. Uh, what is your exact stance on the abortion issue, Paul? And uh, yeah. how do you feel about that? So I, I believe uh, in the preciousness of human life. So that's from conception to natural death. Uh, it, people want that to be the issue this election cycle. I don't see that as the election. This, is, this has been a fight since uh, 1973. I, don't, I think people are uh, pretty much where they're at on this issue one way or the other. And, and frankly, the issues that I'm going to be focusing on Number one is public safety, getting our streets back so that people are safe. Number two, making sure everybody gets the, the education opportunity that they want and they don't have the choices they need. And number three, getting our economy back on track. Inflation is eating up people's wealth. Uh, people, are, there's a big workforce work, for shortage right now. And so those are the issues that I think are really going to matter right now. Uh, some of these other big issues that we're divided on, we're, we're going to be divided on. 20 years from now. That's a good point. And 
going back to one other thing you mentioned, and I, I have a similar philosophy about the Supreme Court ruling on uh, gay marriages, even the Supreme Court ruling on the abortion. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I've been upfront uh, about the abortion issue. I just, I'm just not in favor of it. As once again, people know I'm a Christian also, but uh, I respect the laws of the land. And I look at it more as a hearts and mind type of thing. Yeah. And I, I, I often, when people talk to me about that issue, I bring up the scripture where render unto Caesar, that's which is Caesar and unto God, that's which is God. And I think uh, a lot of times I'm like, if that's the law, that's fine. But if we do what we're supposed to do and uh, appeal to people's hearts and minds, that that's the best way, that even though they're free to do it, they would choose not to do it. And uh, I'm talking as a person who uh, had a child aborted. And uh, yeah. to this day, I really regret it. And the mom really regret it. So yeah, um, let me, let me yeah, add one, one more thing, too, because yeah. um, I, you know, people that uh, uh, have a pregnancy that they weren't looking for, it is a desperate time. And, uh, you know, I don't care. It's about taking care of that woman that's involved in that as well and making sure that you find a path through there it's but you are absolutely right what i personally try to do is influence people in the hearts and minds i think you said that perfectly uh, a whole lot of uh, the folks uh, that have gone through that a lot of them they end up having uh, adopting out that that baby i mean there's there's different different ways to go but i really believe that politically that is not going to be an issue coming up right now it's those other issues i talked about and people just want to get off onto those issues. But the real issues we can actually address right now is public safety, education, and our economy. Well, one more little hot topic before we start wrapping things up. And I respect the fact that it's a long day of campaigning. <laughs> uh, marijuana, uh, legalization of marijuana. Where do you stand on that, Paul? Uh, I've never been supportive of, of recreational marijuana. I do support any medical use. If you can show me a valid medical use, we can have a conversation. I also support lowering the sentencing for uh, drug use. I, I don't want it to be a huge offense. I just want, I don't want to call something good that I don't think is good. My wife and I volunteer at Teen Challenge. They would say it's an entry drug there. Uh, we, we uh, Hazelton would say it's an entry drug. Uh, mental health issues for kids is dramatically impacted by it. You know, so there's all kinds of, of things that I would say are, it's not good, but um, that's my position. Okay. Well, we'll follow up on that. Not on this show. There's a lot of ways we can comment this. I, uh, is that you or me, Paul? That's me. My car uh, <laughs> turned off and that was going to lose my lights. The lights are going to be gone, so I just turn it back up. <laughs> I'm improvising here, man. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We're both improvising here. Uh, the uh, making marijuana illegal. When I look back in history, one of the stories is that it was done that way to target African American jazz musician. Mm. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I've heard that. Uh, but more recently, I just see the impact that is having on our community as far as uh, war on drugs, uh, heavy police presence in the community. And I know, and I'm just being honest, I know people who do it. And they seem to function very well, no different than people who drink alcohol. And uh, I know the history of prohibition in alcohol it seems like to me, if we take all that in consideration, Paul, that we may want to consider a different stance on that issue. And <laughs> and and but that's where dialogue come in. At yeah. uh, I, I, I and I hope we can continue the dialogue on that uh, because that's really having an impact on our communities. And a lot of times, and and by the way, I'm talking to people with master's degrees from from uh, 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 Ivy League colleges and not, or any other colleges and things like that who say, hey, look, it's not affecting me. They're doctors, they're lawyers and things like that. So let's talk some more about that at a different time. We will, uh, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let me hit just a little more there. I mean, because, uh, and, and I emphasize that I, I think lowering the penalties is part of the solution because then the things you're talking about 
uh, are not going to be as uh, the, the consequences aren't going to be what you're describing. But we did bring in testi testimony from Colorado where they, they legalized uh, marijuana for recreational use much, much earlier. And there wasn't a lot of good stats coming out of that, you know, and so that's why I'm saying I don't care if the penalties are low. It's just it, if you call it good when I'm not so sure it is, that's what I'm concerned about. Okay, and, and that's a pretty good input. So we will uh, continue uh, uh, that discussion at a later date. Uh, quickly, uh, we got five minutes here, Paul, uh, and I'm going to give you a chance to uh, bring up any subject matter uh, that I perhaps, if I was a better host and more prepared, <laughs> I would have brought it up. Uh, you got any issues there that you'd like to, any particular issue that I perhaps missed that you would like to uh, address it, given the audience here tonight? Well, you know, you covered about everything, but I do want to say, you know, on the education issue, uh, we've been advocating for more what we called opportunity scholarships or education savings accounts, more resources for less for, from, for disadvantaged families that have kids in failing schools to go somewhere else, anywhere else. And this year we, we had a couple of press conferences and we had a lot of people from the minority community saying we need more options. And so I just want to underline that that is really a re Republican drive to give more education opportunities for, for kids in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And then the second thing is, is the government is not going to solve everything for every person. Uh, one of my conversations with one of the pastors in Minneapolis, he said, well, can you help us with jobs? And one of the things I was able to do is link some of the blue collar union leaders to these churches to see if we could find a pipeline for blue collar union jobs, which frankly are very good paying jobs. And so every solution is not going to be from the government, but as governor, frankly, I, I have the opportunity to, to lead people to a better place. To, and my goal, frankly, is to prosper all of Minnesota, including Minneapolis and St. Paul. Yes. Uh, Larry Ellison, who uh, founded and headed Oracle, the database company, he has a quote talking about innovators. And he said, one of the things innovators do is say, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And he says, how much that kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, piss people off, but it's both exhilarating and tough at the same time. Where I'm going with that is in the education field. To be honest with you, Paul, I have not heard anyone who I think got a handle on how you address the educational achievement gap and how you educate inner city kids. So if you ever become governor, I'm going to be over there talking to you about how you get this done, because I think I got the prescription uh, uh, on how to get it done based on my uh, time in the education field and based on starting up charter school, a charter school with great results yeah. with these same inner city children. Uh, leave us, Paul, uh, and our audience with a positive message and a vision of Minnesota if uh, Paul Kozelka was governor. Yeah. So it's a vision of hope, first of all. Uh, think about the fact that uh, there's enough police on the streets and they are building relationships within their communities so that they're working with community leaders and working, all of them working against those that are interested in creating havoc and crime. And, and so that people feel safe everywhere. They feel like their kids can play outside. They feel like they can walk down the street. They don't have to worry that uh, somebody's going to shoot them or be caught in a gang war, uh, a place where every kid everywhere gets the opportunity for a great education so that they are prepared for the jobs that are there in the future. Because if you are, if you then have that job and you're working and you're raising a family, you don't have time to do anything else. And I got that from one of the pastors that I talked to in Minneapolis. That's the vision, making sure that we have people well-educated, and there's jobs available for them so that they have the opportunity to raise a family and live life. And that's the American dream. And so that's my desire that that's for everyone, not not just for people in rural Minnesota, or the suburbs, or, but Minneapolis and St. Paul, too. And this is not out of reach. This, this is not out of reach. We just have to all work together to make it happen. But I can lead people there. I'll lead with compassion and integrity. 
well, I'm not afraid to make a tough decision if it helps us get to a better place. Well, uh, thank you for taking out time. Uh, I know you were on the road and you had to improvise and, and connect via your car. So I appreciate that, Paul. Uh, we'll be talking soon. I know uh, you have been involved in the Metro community and I wish you and all the candidates good luck. Uh, I want our audience to know I have an open invitation to anyone and everyone who want to speak to the uh, the audience, uh, the Bright Lights audience, uh, nonpartisan or whatever. We just want to work together in this state to solve issues. I'm not concerned about everything else. We have a common goal and work towards that. So I, I have a confidence that that's what you're going to bring to the state. And I appreciate you being on our yeah. podcast tonight, Paul. Yeah, Lacey, they can check out my website at gazelka.com, G-A-Z-E-L-K-A, gazelka.com, and they can learn more about what we're trying to do. All right. So once again, thanks, Paul. Hope to talk to you soon, get you out here. Um, hope maybe even get you back on podcast between now and Election Day. Uh, get out, Go out there. I know it's tough, long days. So glad to talk with you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. God bless All you right. guys. All right. Bless you. Good night. All right, audience, uh, another uh, episode of Bright Lights. Uh, once again, uh, we will be bringing you all the candidates that agree to come on. Uh, we are dedicated to results, and solving problems, and not into your political persuasion, your opinions, uh, your gender, your preferences, your religion. Let's just identify what we need to do and come together and get it done. Good night uh, from another podcast of Bright Lights. Go to lasajohnson.com to support us, uh, merchandise, subscribe, etc. And we will see you back here at 7 p.m. next Wednesday. Good night. <laughs>